Hey everyone, I'm your host, Alex Taylor, co-founder of Parallel. Welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast where we learn about the tireless yet vibrantly challenging role the women we admire most live in parallel to their careers and personal pursuits, becoming and being a mom. Today's episode is with Chloe Morello. She is a global beauty influencer and entrepreneur. She's the founder of Sereni and Face Halo, and she's also a mom of two. She has a one and a half year old and a three month old. We talked about PMDD, her transition into motherhood, her beauty routine during pregnancy. She dropped some really good recommendations, her birth story, and so much more. She was an absolute delight, and I hope you enjoy the show. Chloe, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Of course, super excited. I've been a longtime fan and admirer of yours. You have built such an incredible brand and platform, and I am so excited to talk about your journey to becoming and being a mom. Me too. I haven't <laughs> gone through it before, so yeah, <laughs> this will be good for me as well. Great. So before we jump into your experience as a mom, I'd love to just rewind the clock and understand who were you and what were you doing before you became a mom? So I am Australian, as you can probably tell from my accent. So I grew up there and lived there for all my life. And I am from a small coastal town. And I definitely have that kind of small town mindset. Um, I am a beauty blogger. I work from home. Um, that all started when I was a teenager and loved makeup. I loved doing my own makeup, stealing my mom's makeup. And I've just always been a very feminine kind of girl, just always obsessed with playing with my dolls and clothes and all of that. And it was always my escape from whatever, you know, I had to do that day, school, work, whatever that was. Um, and so who the woman I was before I had children was just the grown-up version of that really and um, I got to do all those things for for a job um, I'm really lucky because I was one of those women that started social media like as soon as it happened I didn't like shy away from it as soon as I had access to the internet I was looking for makeup and beauty things you know, to, to watch. And in high school, I was watching YouTube in like 2007. And as I'd always also film myself putting my makeup on, I didn't know that I could upload them to the internet yet. But by the time I was about 17, 18, I was very much into that world. And it wasn't like the normal, typical thing to do. So all my friends thought it was a little bit weird. And, you know, people that also weren't my friends at school thought it was very weird. Um, and so I just started doing that really frequently because, um, as I said, I was from a small town and I had most of my friends had moved away. So I didn't have that many friends in my town anymore. So really my online friends that I had met through uploading my YouTube videos, that's like my interaction that I had. And I loved wow. it. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, just pretty much very obsessed with connecting to people um, about my passion, which is makeup and beauty. Um, and so that's like who I was. I've, I um, also have always loved dancing. I was a very like cosmopolitan kind of person. Also love to go dancing. I've been into salsa dancing for a really long time and I would go out 
dancing all the time. Um, this is after I started my YouTube channel. It kind of took off, became my full-time job. You have created, first of all, the template for what so many other women have created online in terms of becoming their own business owners and brand builders. You have two brands that you have developed from the ground up. You are one of the OG beauty vloggers and I think that's just been so tremendous. And and also, I think it's really beautiful how it sounds like what's attracted you so much is not only just this genuine passion for beauty, but the community element. I would just like to say that I have never known what I'm doing in anything. <laughs> like in school, never knew what I was doing, didn't really care. I did not care about schoolwork or anything. I didn't care about my grades. All I cared about was my friends. I loved reading. I loved dancing. I loved makeup. And those were the things that I focused on. Um, and then same as when I left school, I actually, you know, my parents kind of pushed me to go to university. I went to university, but I dropped out after nine months. I was like, this is not working. I even went to makeup school and went through that whole thing. And this is, I'm not proud of this or anything. This just shows you maybe how lazy I am. I don't know. But I even dropped out of makeup school. When they asked me to do the essay, I was like, why do I have to write an essay? So that was a big waste. And that's so silly. But um, I'm just one of those really lucky people where I jumped on the YouTube bandwagon, loved it. You know, I'm proud of myself because I started for the right reasons. I It's a love. It's a huge passion of mine and sharing that with my community. And I'm really lucky that this has taken off because I really had resigned to the fact that I would be working in a career that I wasn't passionate about. I thought that I would have to just settle for that, but I'm really lucky and it took off. And you're right. I started at the very beginning of it all when there were no expectations, there was no money to be made. Um, but luckily I've been able to ride that wave and I've been really successful. So I've learned along the way I've learned along the way how to yeah. manage all of that because mm -hmm. I certainly don't didn't have the skills going into it. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how you have just leaned into what you love and your passions. And I think if mm -hmm. you work hard and you lean into those areas, you can create success and define it for yourself. And one of the things that I always tell my team at Parallel is that we all like to think about the fact that we we know where we're going. We like to we like to know where we're going in life, but the reality is we're driving through life with our headlights off and we can only mm -hmm. see what's right in front of us. And so with that information, we all just have to make the best decisions with what we have available to us and keep going. And it sounds like that's very much been your approach through building your brand and your business and kind of navigating the unknown. And it's beautiful. I just want to have fun. Every yes. decision that I go to make, like I just want to have fun. Yeah. Um, I don't like look at things with a business mindset, which yeah. is probably, you know, not what people suggest. My accountant certainly doesn't like it. <laughs> things like that. And my manager certainly doesn't like it. But I just want to have fun and I want people around me to be happy and I want my life around me to be positive. That's all I care about. I don't really care about, you know, the other things. But that's what makes you so special and genuine and also important in the beauty world and in just the general zeitgeist and especially in the mom conversation. I'm excited to learn how you bring that joy and fun into the motherhood experience. Did you always know that you wanted to be a mom? Was that something you always saw in your life plan? Yeah. 
So I think I mentioned before, like I was always very feminine and I liked, you know, I was role playing being a mum from my earliest memories and I had a doll and I would love questioning my own mum about her her um, experience throughout her childhood. I loved hearing her childhood stories, but also I loved hearing about my birth story, my sister's birth story, what it was like being pregnant. Um, I loved questioning her on what I what she did to me when I was a little baby, asking all these things. And then I would we would also always talk about when I had my kids. Like I would always talk about when I have my babies, you're going to be there and hold my hand. You're going to be the best nanny. You're going to, yeah, I have a very close relationship with my mom, my mummy, and um, that. Yeah, I always knew I would be a mum. And I think it comes from my own mother because I have a very strong relationship with my mum to the point where when I lost my virginity, I told her almost immediately. Like, it's I weird. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I hope I can be that type of mum. <laughs> it's amazing. I never kept anything from her. It's not like she wanted to hear that, by the way. She didn't want to know. She was like very huh. upset. But <laughs> how, I told her I couldn't she... keep things from her. Yeah, I'm so curious. This will be a little tangent because I want to get back to this question, but Mm -hmm. I'm so curious how she created an environment where you felt comfortable to share that with you. That's really beautiful and very unique. I've I've tried to figure it out myself as well because (laughs) I want that for my own kids. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I have to write a book someday. Because she was (laughs) pretty strict too. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Maybe we'll touch on that. Yeah. I'll try to figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as your career started to blossom and grow and come to really a boil, Mm -hmm. were there moments where you were kind of at odds with this idea of motherhood, where it felt like maybe it wasn't convenient or you didn't want to have children because of your your career? There were definitely times when like it felt like it got pushed back. Um, But in the end, I think the timing of everything for me has been so perfect and just how I envisioned it. So right before I had children, I was like at the peak of my social media career, I had, well, I have millions of followers and I I was living in Sydney in my own apartment. Um, And so I had met my now husband, Sebastian, and we were just like living the life. Like, because, you know, I never realized how lucrative this industry could be for me. I really thought that I'd be living in the small town, possibly living with my parents for a long time. Um, but no, I was living in my own apartment. I was traveling, going overseas five or six times a year and not on my own dime. A brand would send me on an amazing trip. I'm sure you heard about this tart trip drama. Yes. <laughs> I went on tart trips with my husband to Bora Bora, like traveling. Yeah. Uh, then I was like, you know what? I think the kids can wait <laughs> because I was like, it was incredible. Like I cannot in. believe that was my That's life. Amazing. Yes, exactly. So we were soaking it in. We were partying, going out mm-hmm. salsa dancing. My husband's um South American, so we would go dancing all the time. Friends all over the world would go visit them in in Ireland, in the States, everything because as I said I was in in America in Australia and then um once we got married, I kind of asked him, "Do you want to live overseas?" We moved to the US and then it was when the pandemic happened that we got forced to slow down. And that is when we thought, well, now we kind of have the actual time to talk about, even talk about this because it was very whirlwind moving countries. 
um, trying to establish everything I had built in Australia in the US and having to slow down and being in lockdown, we're like, maybe we should start now. It had always been a conversation though. Like we both knew we wanted children and wanted them together literally from when we like first started dating. Wow. That's beautiful. So, it's so important. Yeah. He's yeah. Oh, my husband. Aww. Too good for me. <laughs> That's so beautiful. But, um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, and I just, especially when I met him and saw how great he was mm-hmm. as, you know, an uncle and how passionate he was about one day mm-hmm. becoming a dad, it was like, I'm going to jump on you when the time comes. Yes. Because you'll be a great no brainer. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I can feel all the love in this story just for, for your partner and the zest for life. And, but traveling and, you know, that jet setting life, it's hard to, to think about how the responsibility of being a parent fits into that world. And it sounds like the pandemic really forced your hand to slow down and, and consider, is this the moment? And that's interesting because I think a lot of women that have built careers or have something they're personally invested in, you know, they don't know when to stop or not to stop, when to take a pause and maybe think about, is this the moment for me to start a family? And it's interesting how kind of the universe almost gave that to you through the pandemic. I don't know what would have happened if that we didn't have that kind of um, moment to that kind of forced us to think about it at least like I don't know because we had definitely prior to that thought because I had my son in 2020 I thought that I would be continuing the way I had through 2020 and potentially 2021 would look at having kids um but also a friend of mine Desi Perkins has been very open about her journey um and that was always in my mind as well like what if we go to try to have children and it takes a long time like so that was always sort of in my mind and I definitely didn't want to wait too long so it was kind of yeah and then once we started trying it took about nine months to fall pregnant got it and that's interesting about the comment about Desi because I think that we're all led to believe at least here in the U.S. I'm curious to hear if it's different growing up in in Oz but Mm. we're all led to believe you have sex once and you get pregnant and it's you know, smooth sailing from there. And Mm -hmm. you obviously had exposure and awareness from your friend of her journey and the ups and downs and in-betweens that she experienced. Um, You know, did that give you any reservations of starting or did it just motivate you to start sooner? And and tell me a little bit more about your fertility journey if you're open to it. Mm, Of course. Um, Yes, it definitely motivated me to start a bit earlier because she came out with Um, a fantastic YouTube series about her fertility journey that I'm sure lots of your audience have seen. Um, And if they haven't, they should go watch it. It's so moving. And her journey to becoming a mother was really inspiring. Um, It definitely made me, I feel like growing up, yes, maybe I thought that having sex once, you'll fall pregnant. But once I became sexually active, um, I feel like there are a lot of moments where I mean, especially when you first started started having sex every time, I was like, oh, my God, I'm probably pregnant now. Yeah. But that never happened. And so over the years, I guess I kind of thought, you know what, it might actually be a bit harder um, than I thought. So and, you know, even once I got married, I went off the pill because, you know, we knew that it would happen eventually. And I actually have PMDD. So I went off the pill in an effort to try and 
stabilize what was happening there because that was... Yeah. Tell us a little bit about PMDD quickly, because I know that's something that actually is very underdiagnosed and very common. Mm. So tell us what that means and what your experience was, if you don't mind. Yeah. So in my mid-20s, I... I guess I changed the pill a few times. I mean, I think mine was exasperated by the pill. So PMDD, premenstrual dysmorphic syndrome. Um, Yeah, so it, I was struggling with my mental health in my mid-20s. It was kind of triggered by something that happened in my family um, that I know I was just really struggling to cope with any inconvenience, any stressor, any anything really literally not finding a car spot going to get my groceries I could have a complete meltdown that would last for days like I it was just I was not coping but it would only be for a week only it would be for like a week or maybe two weeks before I get my period and then the other two weeks would be completely fine I hadn't quite made that relation that it was with my cycle for a while so I went to visit you know my mental health person Mm -hmm. um went to a therapist and stuff and yeah tried talking my way through it Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what it was I just thought I had anxiety Um, yeah of course and I went to a psychiatrist Mm -hmm. they diagnosed with me with ADD and Mm. put me on yes I think interesting I think that's actually common but I was very shocked by that it's very common. That's, It's interesting to even just hear this piece of the journey because women's health research is so deeply underfunded and far behind men. And mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. learned that in the late 70s, women of reproductive age were omitted from clinical trials because our bodies were so difficult to track. We're hormonal. We're changing. We're dynamic. And you yeah. realize that, you know, we're still feeling the effects today. You know, it takes us longer mm-hmm. to get diagnosed with things that should be pretty obvious, like what you went through. So they diagnose Mm -hmm. you with ADD. Then what? And this was a male doctor. Uh, And he diagnosed me within five minutes of being in there. So I had to fill out like a questionnaire and he said, you've got 100% on this. You have ADD. Go on these stimulant drugs, whatever it was. I can't even remember. I hated them. They made it so much worse. My relationship with my husband was like struggling too because nothing he could say would would help me he used to hide in the bathroom from me when I was having my like moments because nothing would help um finally I kind of started doing my own research I was like do you know what I think it's got to do with my period somehow so I was on the pill um this was before I married my husband sorry so I went off the pill and that actually helped quite a lot um for me actually having my period naturally compared to on the pill. So I know that that's opposite to a lot of people's experience, but I did it under my doctor's guidance, um, of course, and it really actually helped. And then uh, things were a lot better. Once I moved to the US, there were some new stresses, moving countries and things that kind of came back a little bit, um, my PMDD. And so I went to a new mental health provider, a woman, and she, I told her, I think I have PMDD. And she talked to me and she said, yeah, I think you have it too. And so I went on um, an antidepressant and that changed everything. It changed my life. <laughs> I mean, there were plenty of times where it yeah. really made me 
feel like I don't want to be here. You get those yes. terrible thoughts. Yes. And I was bed bound. Wow. Wow. And well, thank God you it, got diagnosis and now you have support. Mm -hmm. But my goodness, yeah. it is a heavy weight to bear and something, again, so many women struggle with. Wow. Right. Wow. That was a big fear for me, um, mm -hmm. getting pregnant as well. I was like, will yeah. this exas exacerbate it or wow. will it? Will it come back? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that. So you have been kind of forced to slow down in the pandemic. You and Seba have decided that you are ready to start a family. And you began this journey. It sounds like you had some reservations because of P PMDD. Um, mm -hmm. How was your fertility and pregnancy journey the first time around? How were you feeling? How did you cope mm -hmm. with kind of these stressors of the PMDD potentially getting worse? Did that happen? Tell me a little bit about that. I was probably more anxious about falling pregnant. Again, I think I developed a bit of fear in the pandemic about illness and yes. stuff. You know, I was <laughs> I was very stressed and nervous about the pandemic. Um, of course, and I still am. It's a serious issue. But I was also worried that maybe there would be something that was preventing me from falling pregnant. I don't know because it actually... I was tracking my fertility with an app um, and, you know, taking my temperature and, you know, having sex at all the right times. Yep. I remember. Lying down Doing after having too. sex, yep. cutting my legs up, <laughs> legs you know, up. and it, I, yeah. And uh, we started trying in March, like when the pandemic happened and I felt pregnant in, oh my God, when did I fall pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> it was like October that I found out. So okay. I think it might okay. have been very end of September yeah. or beginning of October. Got so it, it. took um, it. longer than I thought okay. to fall pregnant. My husband was actually taking a supplement that I didn't know. Um, and it's a common supplement that, that men take. It's like a something to help with hair density. And apparently that is a sperm suppressant. Yes, my so husband once he takes went off it that, too. Yes. Once he went off that, mm -hmm. I fell pregnant like very quickly. So I don't that know if that was so actually it. Yeah. Or. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. It's very common. A lot of men take it just to retain their hair. On our pregnancy journey, I won't get too much into this, but we didn't get pregnant right away either. And finally, we asked, you know, what, what else can he be doing? And our doctor said that he should stop taking it. So that's interesting. So that could have played mm -hmm. a role in your fertility journey. How did it feel when you saw, you know, those two lines on the pregnancy test? Did you like have an shocked. intuition <laughs> or like reshot? I did not yeah. have an intuition. I had no idea. <laughs> I did know that I was um, feeling a bit odd, but I did not put two and two together. I had actually, I was filming a makeup, a skincare video and I was putting a cream on my face and it started burning like out of nowhere. And I normally have very resilient skin and it was, it had hydroquinone in it, which you're not allowed to use when pregnant. So I was like, why am I reacting to this? This is so weird. I had to stop filming and I was like, I can't film about this product. Um, so then a, a, like a week or two later, I took a pregnancy test because I didn't get my period and the little lines were on there. I was shocked. I was like, oh my gosh oh my gosh, it's happening. Was I actually ready? You know, I second yeah. guessed. We filmed, you know, myself checking mm -hmm. it. We filmed it. Seba wanted yeah. to capture our reactions. And yeah. at that time, we we're kind of filming everything because the pandemic. Of course. We were doing that for our audience. Um, <sighs> what an amazing moment just, 
to have on camera, by the way. So you were shocked. Were you afraid? So shocked and like concerned. I was like, okay, this is actually happening. Like there's no, Mm -hmm. it kind of felt like a bit of a dream before. And then I was like, nope, it's in me now. (laughs) It's not coming out until nine months. Yeah. It's it's pretty wild because you see this positive test and suddenly, at least for me, I felt like, wait a minute, I'm not controlling this. What do I do? You know, like, yeah, like I had no idea and there's so I, much responsibility now on you. It is. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. So how did you feel through that first pregnancy? Did you experience any, you know, morning sickness? No. I felt pretty good. We, however, lived in a pretty small apartment, like a lot of people. And due to lockdown, I was kind of just confined to my apartment. And we actually lived in Hollywood in Los Angeles, which is not a super walkable, pretty area. I mean, it is, but it's not somewhere that you want to go for a nice, pretty walk. Yeah. You have a car. So yeah, yeah, I didn't go outside a lot, actually. And I, um, I think I was getting a bit kind of sad being stuck inside. I didn't have like many physical symptoms. But I was very sad, um, especially because I, my parents, my family are all the way in Australia. So really, I only had Sebastian, and he's fantastic, of course. But I was so far away from my mom, very stressed about them. My parents, are, my dad's in his mid-70s. My mom's in her 60s. Like, I was feeling more emotional, having more emotional struggles than the physical mm-hmm. ones. Did you experience like the pregnancy blues? Is that kind of what you were feeling or do you think it was just a version of that be- that was very situational? I think it was situational. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think I I don't enjoy pregnancy. Mm. I just What was it? It's it's not being able to do what I normally like to do. Um and that was definitely like compounded by not being able to leave my house and be social and couldn't eat things I wanted to eat. Um, couldn't have a ham and cheese sandwich. That's so unfair. Oh, I that's love, your thing. <laughs> I love sandwiches. Yes. Yeah. And just like yeah. also when you're when we're at home in the pandemic, you know, I like to have a cocktail while watching my movies. Of course. There's kind of nothing I could yeah. I could do to like pass the time and yeah. Well, I don't know, the things that I like to do, I couldn't and, do them. And being pregnant during the pandemic, I can speak to this because I was also pregnant with my mm, uh, with okay. my second during the pandemic. And it was just a pressure cooker. Like there wasn't a lot mm-hmm. to do. Like most of our favorite outlets were, you know, especially if you're a social creature, which my sense is you are. Um, yeah. It's tough. It's really tough. I had so, all these dreams about you know, going to lunches with my mom and wearing, being a glowing pregnant woman, you know, going to the mall, going to the park, going to the beach, going beautiful places with my husband and enjoying the pregnancy. I just felt, yeah, I was feeling very sorry for myself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think a lot of women feel that way with, with pregnancy during the pandemic. It kind of robbed them of that fun social aspect and just also really feeling like you're living that life of being pregnant rather than sitting home all day. You know, that, that is something, and it's, it's okay to, you know, lament yeah, that I a little bit. I feel guilty about it. 
But also you didn't want to go outside for a walk because I didn't want to get COVID while oh, pregnant. Yeah. What does that mean for I my mean, baby? We were wiping down our groceries then. <laughs> it was really terrifying. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, during that time, you were obviously very conscientious of what was happening in the world and your health and coming from the beauty world, you know, looking at everything that was going in and on your skin, especially with this experience when you were filming the skincare tutorial, which is so fascinating, by the way. Did you start to kind of obsess over what was safe in your pregnancy routine? Did you find that it was hard to find products? And did that really influence you in terms of where you started to kind of focus and build your brand and even the partners that you work with? Yes, I was definitely very careful with things in a lot more in my first pregnancy than I was in my second one. I think a lot of women can relate to that. Um, But I obviously immediately stopped using vitamin A products, retinol, um, hydroquinone, uh, and high levels of acids. And I think especially for me, it felt different putting something on my skin than actually eating it because um, with my knowledge of skincare and stuff, I understand that actually a very small amount of what you're putting on your skin is absorbed. So it's not as serious as if you're in- ingesting it. Um, but for me, I, yeah, I mean, I stuck to the main rules and I still allowed myself my skincare, you know, otherwise. And I still wanted to feel beautiful and um, I still wanted to enjoy all those things that I I of honestly love but I stayed away from the the main ingredients that are bad for you and I definitely had to it was sad to put away I went through my skincare cupboard and put everything Mm -hmm. that had retinol in it in a little Mm -hmm. box oh and I was very sad about it (laughs) because that's a fantastic ingredient it is that I really saw great results from so and yes it definitely did um, influence me in starting my brand Sereni because you can't use that ingredient and um, a product that they recommend you use in replacement of that is Bakuchiol, which I'm sure you've probably heard of the Babchi ingredient in skincare. Um, it's fantastic at helping with cell turnover, similar to retinol, anti-aging, refining texture and tone. So I began to use products that had that ingredient in it, and I really like the results that I had. Um, at the same time, um, Throughout my whole journey, people have always asked me, do you want to start your own brand? Up until then, I had said no because there's and there's so many products out there. I didn't want to start something and have something unless I was really bringing something new to the table um, and that wasn't already there. So I think when I was pregnant, um, well, I started my brand before I was pregnant, but um, especially when I was pregnant, um, I knew that also, I also knowing that I wanted to get pregnant soon, I knew that, you know, I wanted to create this product that I was sort of formulating in my bathroom already, mixing a, a specific amount of fake tan with these active, effective ingredients to kind of give my skin this like makeup like effect when I woke up, it was like, a would wake up with a filter over my face that wouldn't wash off in the same way that you know, my makeup would. So I loved that. And you couldn't buy that. Like, yes, there's fake tan on the market that can kind of give you that temporary color to your skin, but nothing that was um, extremely subtle in the way that I was using this. And I had 
talk to my followers about it on my videos, but I was like, I want a product that does this. I just want it to be there in a bottle I can squeeze on my hand. So I spoke to my friend and manager, Ashley Villa, and I said, do you think you could help me with this? I kind of mentioned before that I'm not the most organized business savvy person. That's okay. (laughs) Very creative and stuff. But um, (laughs) I thought, I think I might want to try this. I'm not doing anything else. I'm at home in the pandemic just researching all this stuff. Like, can we give it a go? And so that's um, how my brand started. And, yeah, it was definitely affected by the the knowledge that I would one day be pregnant and that I would, wouldn't want to not use my own product. So I knew that it had to be pregnancy safe, pregnancy friendly. So that's why I replaced the, you know, I wanted a product that combined the benefits of those the benefits of those um but that I could still happily use it's funny how so many women are inspired to start their brands when they start thinking about yes this stage of life and it Mm -hmm. really changes you know the lens with which we look at the brands we bring into our home but also the gaps and where we see opportunity and it's it's tremendous what you've done with with your brand and platform to see the gap yeah that's a great way to put it yeah So through this pregnancy, you have this amazing brand. You've kind of adjusted your your beauty routine. Um, Take us into like the third trimester and right before you gave birth. How were you feeling? Were you anxious? Were you nervous? Where were you at? Super nervous and very upset because at this point I knew my mom couldn't come and be with me. Like I said that when I was younger – I used to fantasize about that moment Um, and the fact that she couldn't be there was horrible because our family was affected by the bushfires in 2019. Yes, I remember that. And so I hadn't seen her since then. Um, So sorry. I'm talking about my mom a lot and obviously I wanted my dad to be in America as well, but it was like I wanted my mom there to hold my leg up while I was pushing. Like I just always made that joke even throughout Mm -hmm. my life. Like I wanted her there to hold my leg up. Um, and she couldn't be there. She unfortunately also was diagnosed with cancer while I was, while I was pregnant. And so it was just all very stressful. My doctor tried, you know, I I don't know if you know, but the Australian government was very strict. Um, people couldn't even leave Australia. So my doctor tried writing a note like Chloe really needs her mum there, you know, but we couldn't, she couldn't come over. We couldn't get that through. So I was, um, I had my baby with my husband and my amazing mother-in-law came as well from Canada. And so I had, I still had great support, but it was not what I envisioned. And birth was horrible the first time. Oh, so, my goodness. So before we get into this birth, because I'm dying to hear about it, have hmm. you, you know, you had, I think many of us, whether it might be a wedding or the birth of our child, what have you, we have this vision of what it looks like. And it can be, I found with my experience, there was this period of grief and grieving that my experience didn't quite line up with what I envisioned. How have you kind of worked, like reconciled that birth experience, not having your mom there? Was she there for baby number two? Like, did you just, you know, that's a lot to work through. Yeah, I almost like I honestly didn't want to think I couldn't think about it much. It, it triggered me like um, 
I don't think I really dealt with it until I was coming up to my second birth when I started to get very anxious that it would happen again. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I really dealt with it until kind of recently. Yeah, that's interesting. I, 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 That's a common theme I find with my friends that we try to kind of reconcile some of those grievances we had with our first experience through our second mm-hmm. or through other yes. spaces in our life. So you don't well, get I'm a sorry chance to deal there. with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. It worked out in the end. Yeah. I think like as soon as you have your baby, you kind of, if those feelings are still there, like I often couldn't stop, you know, I was very upset by how it went, but I had a great post-birth experience. Tell us a little bit about the birth if you're, if it's not too triggering. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. It's fine. Uh, yeah. and, and it helps to talk about these things for me. Mm-hmm. And I'll okay. talk to anyone about it because okay. I love analyzing it. <laughs> um, so my birth, my pregnancy, as I said, was pretty easy aside from like the mental factor of being in a pandemic and stuck at home. Um, I, at the time, loved my obstetrician. Um, so I was having a good experience with that, although de- visiting her without my husband was hard. I had to FaceTime him in every appointment. And then the birth, when it came around, I was very anxious about the pain and what would happen because I didn't actually have a vision of how it would go. I was very much like, go with the flow. I'll do what my doctor suggests, how I'm feeling at the time. I didn't have a written out birth plan or anything. I did want to, I didn't know what the pain would be like. So I thought I'll go in and who knows if I'll need epidural or not. Um, I want, all I knew is I want it to be over quickly. Yes. So, um, my mom also had been like, you know, you, you, if you don't get an epidural, it will just happen faster. So try it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went in there thinking, you know, maybe I can do it without it. Mm -hmm. No, it was so (laughs) painful. It's a lot. And I should also note that my obstetrician, I touched on this just a second ago. I really liked her at first, but she got, um, some kind of promotion about a month before I had my baby and she rescheduled my final appointment. So I didn't see her for three weeks before, before my due date. And I started swelling a little bit. Um, there was a few moments where I saw stars getting up from the couch and things. And I'd actually developed preeclampsia without knowing and without the doctor knowing. So when I went in to have my baby, I had preeclampsia and, you know, it all went downhill from there Wow! once we so actually did, went in. so How did that affect the actual birth? Well, first of all, they probably found out on the spot that you had it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And how did that affect the actual delivery? So it's such a blur. Like, yeah, I'm just going off really what my husband and my, mo- my mother-in-law kind of told me because I do think that the doctors actually tried to skim over it because my obstetrician knew that she hadn't seen me um uh so I went in there I got the epidural when I was six centimeters dilated the day that I was having my baby there were 14 other women having a baby at the same time with my doctor so she was flat out as well like it was not a good day for her (laughs) she had lots of women to tend tend to that day um so I didn't see her until I was crowning with my son Um, I also didn't know the gender of my baby. So I was really excited to kind of find out 
what I was having. So it was all, I didn't know that it wasn't going well, by the way. Mm, okay. I was, um, I was sleeping with my epidural, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it was extremely painful up until I had that, yeah. screaming out the top of my lungs. I think they were oh. like, get this girl <laughs> an epidural <laughs> because she's stressing out everyone on the ward. Yeah, yeah. I was hollering at the top of my lungs. I cannot believe what a it's a lot pain threshold. I have. It's a lot. Okay, no good. <laughs> it's okay. Some people, you know, we're all different. I, I definitely cannot believe your people side. do it without. <laughs> it's amazing. I cannot isn't believe it? people do it without. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, but no, I gratefully accepted that and fell asleep. Um, they of course told me that you know when you get these sensations, tell us that means the baby's coming out. Never got those sensations. I was. In there, I think it was like nine hours or six hours or something. And I was like, you know what? Um, can you just check because something might be happening? And I was uh, nine di- centimeters dilated, but just not feeling anything. And so I think I think what happened was my son was just kind of s- stuck in there for a little while, chilling. Um, I didn't know to push when I should have been. And he was in distress. Um, and he had, you know, pooped in. Yeah. That's very in common. The, yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And so when he came out, he came out very quickly. I was pushing to get him to the to the crowning position. And then the uh, obstetrician came in and I delivered him. The cord was around his neck twice. He It was very quiet. That's what I remember. He didn't make noise. I was expecting to hear the crying. They quickly put him on my chest and then immediately took him back off because he wasn't making any noise. Um, and they whipped him over to, you know, the little bed that they, and they were like rubbing him and I was trying to see what was happening. And I just remember the doctor sitting there in front of me like this saying the mum's on Prozac, mum's on Prozac, like blaming my Prozac for my baby being, you know, in distress and everything and being unresponsive. I just... I remember for the for the next like twenty minutes, however long it lasted, I thought that he was dying. It was the worst horrible thing and no one would would say what was going on. Suddenly four other nurse, nurses and doctors rushed in to tend to him. He never made noise. Um they took him to the NICU. I had to go on my um on the the drip for preeclampsia. So it was just like it happened and I just got Moved into this other room. And I didn't know what was going on. After a while, oh I mean, that drip that you go on, yeah, from pre yeah. when you're on. Pre- oh my god, that was the worst. I remember oh. feeling so hot, so oh. cold. I I didn't even have the energy to like say. I was like, if I'm dying, I'm dying. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> um, god. You know, oh I just god. oh gosh, it's yeah. also just such a blur. Oh. Yeah, it is such a blur. But I I, don't I can know relate with happened. my first sight. A really similar. Uh, blurry experience, you know, and the it's, mm. it all, I think it was just for me, it was like so incredibly overwhelming. It felt like almost yeah. out of body. And I'm like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. It's all foreign to me. I don't know what things mean. And it's, I didn't it's like even have the confidence to ask what was happening. Like, I didn't think that I deserved to know or something. I was just like, I'm just going to lie here until someone uh, told me what to do. Yeah. And so, what happened? This is baby Santino, right? And Santino. So he yeah. went to the NICU. Mm-hmm. He was six pounds nine when he was born and came out. And they told me that he was okay. He just needed help with his breathing and some support. Um, so I don't think it was, they, they didn't say that there was like 
a, a gi- giant issue. He just had to go to the NICU for a few days. So I was in um, in bed. My husband was so excited. I found out that I had a boy. You know, there was it was great that way. And I, I kind of knew, I guess, that it would all be okay. So once that all happened, it was yeah. I was like. This is I mean, the birth, way, there's so much on. happening at once. You know, the doctors are just trying to make sure that you're okay, the baby's okay, mm-hmm. and we're in a bit of a blur because there's this overwhelm. And I can understand why, you know, reflecting on it, it's so blurry it's in chaotic. a way. It's chaotic. It's like, <laughs> what was happening? And so you finally get baby Santino in your arms, and it mm-hmm. sounds like you you went home a few days later from the NICU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it took three days, I think. And then that was amazing. I remember the first night in the hospital that I got to have him with me. I think it was like the third night because we were by ourselves before then. My husband would keep going to the NICU to see him and FaceTime me from in there. Um, and then when I finally got to have him, I remember overnight, I just, Seba was asleep on the little couch and I was holding my baby son and I was just smiling so widely oh, like why like I was in such <laughs> heaven yeah I remember it reminded me of the first time I got my driver's license and I was driving by myself in my car like I covered my hand yes over my mouth because I was smiling so hard people would think that I'm crazy driving my car but I was so excited like I'm an adult I'm a grown-up I have this freedom now. And then I was having this like even better feeling with my son in my arm, like I'm a mother. It's happened. All that shit is over and my baby's here in my arms and he's good and I'm good and my beautiful husband's there sleeping on the couch. I'm going to go home to our cute little cottage. Yeah, it was great. Honestly, from that moment on, everything was great. So I want to touch on, you know, this this next stage, you go home your whole, you know, you've got your new baby. What was it like looking at yourself in the mirror as a mom? Mm. I was so shocked, like phys- physically, so shocked at my stomach. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. I didn't know what to expect, but I could not believe what that my stomach still looked pregnant after I had my baby. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't, I didn't dwell on it. Yeah, no one really um, tells you that, but too much. I was just like, whoa wow, well, that's something. I shared it with my audience and I was like, whoa, look at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's crazy. Look at my body. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and people have, people were, I got a lot of support from my followers because like I said, I didn't have my own mom there. So I had my husband, my mother-in-law, I had my sister-in-law. Um, my sister actually though had come from Australia. So I had my little sister there, which was good. Um, She's not a super maternal person, but the way she became an auntie was great to watch. So um, I was kind of getting a lot of support from my followers because they were the only people that I had as a like mother's group. I didn't have, I couldn't go and visit. I didn't have like friends with newborns. Um, My best friend was in Australia, had had a baby six months before and I had heard a text, but really there were, my audience was like my support system. And if I had a question or I was experiencing something, I really loved being able to share that with them and have that direct dialogue to them. So when I was having those feelings about my body and it wasn't like, I wasn't like upset by it really. Cause I was so focused on my son and my husband's always, always made me feel beautiful no matter what. Mm-hmm. So it was more just like, Whoa. Yeah. This is surprising. Nuts. Like, did you know that? Yeah. I think that mm-hmm. that's such a cool piece of what 
you know, you've added to the motherhood conversation is just showing this is part of it. This is normal. This is happening. And it's beautiful how you've pulled your community in to be a part of that. Did you, you mentioned that breastfeeding was a challenge. Was that something else that you looked to your community for when it came to support? I really wanted to breastfeed. It was something that I really wanted to do. Not, not for any huge reason, except that I felt like it was the most convenient thing. Um, and I didn't want to have to deal with bottles and pumping. And I ended up because, and I do think it was because I didn't have access to my baby for a few days before, after he was born, that I didn't have that skin to skin. I didn't get a chance to try and get him to latch. I didn't, like when I got home and I tried to do all that, or when I was at the hospital even, it just, neither of us was getting it. He just couldn't get it, couldn't do it. So I, um, hired a lactation consultant. She came over four or five times and it just, it never stuck. And then once he kind of got a bit of the hang of it, hang of it, um, you know, I was just, uh, once he got a bit of the hang of it, I just kept getting mastitis. So I ended up giving up after four months. So it wasn't a great journey for me at first, but all my energy went to trying to breastfeed. So spending time in my nursery, trying to get him to latch when it wouldn't latch, resetting trying to latch. Okay. I'll just pump and then feed it to him in the bottle. It was just a lot of every three hours pumping Sebastian feeding him while I pumped. Um, I got hated pumping, but me too. I got, became like obsessed with trying to get it to work for me. I was Mm -hmm. buying everything, every (laughs) pump that existed. Yep. Every, everything on Amazon related to like nipple shields, different size nipple shields, different brands, different everything. Like I feel like I was just trying so hard and I wish I had just kind of not put so much pressure on myself to do it. Did you have any advice from your community that helped you kind of move past Mm -hmm. that? Or did you just have to come to that conclusion about breastfeeding on your own? Because I think so many of us force this idea that we have to breastfeed and, you know, all I probably would have kept up with like the pumping and stuff. Um, Because one, I kind of tried to wean off for a little while and it just felt like nothing was happening. I also had an oversupply. So it was just like I had so much milk and I just felt like I was constantly pumping. And then Obviously, I was doing something wrong because I kept getting mastitis. I got it like four or five times. I was just so sick. There was one time where I I almost called an ambulance. Um, so I just was like, this is not – I actually went cold, cold turkey and just stopped. Like I was – so for a week I just went cold turkey because I tried to wean it down. And when you're pumping, it's difficult because you don't know kind of when to stop. I kind of stopped when the milk stopped. But really that's – too long, right? Because I mean, I don't even know what was going on. But anyway, luckily the second time I tried with my next baby, mm-hmm. it was a different experience. Oh, good. I want to talk a little bit about that different experience because with your birth experience, you got pregnant a second time. Um, you know, as you near your delivery date, your due date. Um, did you do anything to prepare yourself? And how was that birth experience different? And is there anything you did mm. differently? Um, I think I was, I, during my pregnancy, the first time we had moved from the apartment to 
a little cottage house um, in the valley, which is a much more um, suburban family area that if your audience isn't from LA, they won't know that. Um, but so I had uh, also gone to a new obstetrician. I didn't want to see my old obstetrician. I did feel failed by her actually. Um, and she didn't take any responsibility responsibility or anything for what had happened and I felt like she should have um so I found a new obstetrician and I told her immediately that like I was I'm anxious about this pregnancy because of what happened I had a very bad experience I feel traumatized by it I'm nervous um all of those things and so she really kept tabs on me very closely um, I think I saw, I feel like I saw her so much, so much more. And also my husband could come to my appointments. So it was a very different experience because I felt very nurtured by her and I was in my new house. Like we have a little backyard. So I was able to kind of go for walks in, you know, this family kind of area of Los Angeles, very different to very different to my other experience. So my second pregnancy was much better because I feel like I was expecting the worst, maybe. That's why it was so much better. And so at every turn when I thought something would happen, yeah, I mean, mentally it was much better. However, I did have physical issues this time. I got that uh, pelvic pelvic thing. I couldn't walk a lot of the days, but um, having my husband and my little son and everything, like, uh, yeah, it was much better mentally and I was nervous about the birth, but in the end it was fantastic. She came out in one push. Oh, good. I went straight on the epidural, so I was mm-hmm. smiling yeah, good. the whole time and I'm it was so great. She latched immediately. It was the most amazing oh, feeling when I breastfed her the first time. Oh, after all that frustration, I remember just the feeding journey being so like, emotionally draining and triggering when yeah. couldn't latch or get enough milk or even mm-hmm. when I decided to transfer to, you know, formula, it's just, it's so yeah. emotional. You don't realize. And it's really lovely when you get moments where you feel like, okay, I won. I did it. It <laughs> meant a lot to me. It all yeah. lined up. Yeah. That's beautiful. And also I felt like the bonding. Oh yeah. The bonding with my son wasn't as easy as it was my, with my second. I feel like for me, the fact that I had a much more positive birth experience really helped. Mm -hmm. Oh, I bet. I bet. My goodness. Mm -hmm. It's been so beautiful to hear about your journey and your experience. And I know so many women, we don't get to hear these things often. And, you know, we all have our own winding roads and our speed bumps along the way. And there's so much joy that comes with it. I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, What is the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself since becoming a mom? That I have patience. (laughs) I never, I was always a very impatient person. Um, Yeah. And now when I have so much patience for my, for my kids, I can't believe it. (laughs) I always thought I'd be a bit of a chaotic mother, but I'm very chill Um, and I love it. I love being a mom. It's more exciting than any of the cool, exciting things that I got to do and have been privileged to do in my career. Like it's the best feeling. I love, I love it. And I am enjoying trying to balance it with everything. It's a stress, it's stressful sometimes, but I'm lucky. I have a great support system. 
My husband, my son is a support. He's so sweet. My daughter is so sweet. Um, yeah, and I'm just really grateful for how everything is going and for my audience. Yeah. You know, yeah, I love beautiful. having them as a support as well. That's so, so amazing. I'm I mean, grateful. for anyone listening, you have to follow Chloe. It's just I, I love everything Thank that you, you share and your honesty <laughs> and it's tremendous. Um, the last question I have for you is, you know, is there any advice or wisdom that you've received about motherhood that's proven to be totally untrue about your journey? How it's such a beautiful, natural thing. And I know it is, but I sort of felt like, oh, this doesn't feel right a lot of the time. But especially when so many people birth. don't talk about this. Like this is actually such yeah. a good point because there's this idea that we're supposed to feel like this glowy goddess mm, and no I, I didn't feel no. like that and it, it was <laughs> fine it's fine to not feel that yeah but I was is. really expecting to be some like shining sunshine goddess but I didn't mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm. it's good I think it's <laughs> so, a good, good reality and check it's and it's and it's okay I don't think we should feel guilty if we don't I think that's something no. else that we don't really recognize yeah. Oh, exactly. Well, you are just a wealth of inspiration and knowledge. Again, you are the real deal. Oh thank you so much for sharing your story thank with you. us. It's truly an honor. And thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Amazing. I love Parallel. I'm so happy that I got to be Aww. on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Parallel Lives. Stay tuned for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like today's show, we'd be forever grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us. You can find us online at parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com or on Instagram at Parallel Health. I'm Alex Taylor and you've been listening to Parallel Lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's episode was made possible by the company that I co-founded alongside my co-founder Tori and Dr. Viotti, which is Parallel. We are the first and only OBGYN founded women's vitamin offering targeted nutrition for each unique stage of the motherhood journey from preconception through each individual trimester because mom and baby need different nutrients to support them and into postpartum. We created this product because we felt completely failed by the available options on the market. There was an opportunity to create more targeted nutrition for each of these stages. And so we turned to the nation's top doctors to formulate these products. So each product is meticulously formulated by our founding team of world-class doctors, which includes notable OBGYNs, widely published maternal fetal medicine doctors, award-winning endocrinologists in partnership with functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists, and even doulas. It was so important for us to create a product that both Eastern and Western medicine doctors could agree on. I personally take the mom multi-pack. I have a little one who's two years old and four years old, but we have incredible products for all the different stages. So for all of you listening, we are going to offer you a very exclusive 20% off your first month with code podcast 20. So head to parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com and use that code.